1: Hey, it's Melissa Rivers and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Welcome to Group Text. Sabrina and I are here as usual. Hi, Sabrina. Hello, Melissa. And we have a really fun panel today. We have my friend, Heather McDonald, who if you don't know, is a brilliant comedian and the host of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald, which is a wildly successful podcast. Yes. It's going on five years. Thank you. Which is crazy. We also have Mary Dell Harrington and Lisa Hefferman. I'm so excited to get to talk to you guys. They are the founders, authors, women behind one of my Favorite, favorite Instagram sites and favorite books grown and flown. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Thank Melissa. You. Thanks
2: I so much been, for having us.
1: I have been, as you guys know, on your Instagram for like two years now. It's hilarious. Thank you. Thank we, you. We have, we have some funny people who work with
2: us. Yeah. Can you how did, explain what grown and flown is and how did it begin? So we are a website and a Facebook page and an Instagram page and now a book about parenting teens and young adults. So college kids, middle school kids, high school kids. Um, It basically started because like many things, we were trying to solve our own problem. Um, Mary Dell and I at the time had kids in high school and our older kids had just gone to college. Her older son and my older two sons had just gone to college and we were feeling incredibly, incredibly lost. And it turns out there just wasn't a lot of parenting stuff out there for parents in that age group. You know, people were real focused on the little kid issues, which, as we all remember, seem extremely pressing at the time. But the big kid issues are really big, as anyone who's been through this years knows. So we thought we'd start a little blog, see um, if we could get some interest around it. And now we have 600 writers on the website.
1: Wow. wow. I it, mean, it's really become a national phenomenon. There are there's a huge group of us in, in that age break, and you're right, there wasn't anything. Uh, Heather has a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and what'd you say, a stepdaughter? 20. My
0: stepdaughter's 20. She's a junior in college, but we raised her, yeah.
1: And Sabrina's daughter has, grown and, yeah, has grown and flown and then tried to fly back, and Sabrina <laughs> pretty much kicked her in the ass out of the nest and said, fly, <laughs> fly. <laughs> what attracted me to the site was the humor. How did do, are you guys both funny, or do you, are you like myself and Heather and Sabrina, that we just deal with everything through humor?: I think Lisa and I see the humor in our various family <laughs> situations.
3: We, in fact, we start off our book with what, in retrospect, seems really humorous, at the time was not uh, Lisa's sons we're young at the time and upended a whole table full of plates, glasses, hamburgers that had just been served because two boys what did they do they hit each other that's just sort of how they relate i start off talking about how my 17 year old at the time came home from football practice from high school with a hat on it's like what's the deal with the hat normally that's not your thing takes it off and he reveals this hideous haircut and instead of saying would you like some more chicken you know for dinner i flip out on him so you know, we we see now the humor in those things, but I think, as Lisa mentioned before, we have 600 writers. So we realized that our five five data points, as I like to call our children, didn't really have that much in terms of variety of, of activities and voices and interests. So we're thrilled that we have people writing from all over the country. And in fact, now with this um, pandemic, we've had people write, writing about their experiences in Italy and in China. So they bring wisdom, and they
1: bring a lot of humor too. It's just endless. I mean, do they realize how ridiculous they are? <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I think they don't. But one thing we can actually help them with is to understand that part of their ridiculousness is the fact that their brains just haven't fully formed. I mean, one of, one of the things we have in the book is an interview that I did with Francis Jensen, who's this mother of two sons. Now they're probably 30. And she wrote this great book called Teen Brain. And I think it's a primer for all parents. Because if you begin to understand how our kids just can't, they they don't have that capability, it gives you some empathy into the fact that they do incredibly dumb things. Even, you know, your straight-A student will be the one you'll say, what were you thinking? Um, And and they just, their brains just haven't gotten to the point to where their emotional status and their cognitive status are one and the same.
0: And I mean, I definitely think it's really different um, raising boys and girls. Um, you know, with my stepdaughter, she was, you know, did her homework, was very studious, great student. And I just remember teaching her how to drive and we're leaving Ralph's, which is the Ralph's that is the only Ralph she's ever known. We've been in her house for 15 years. And she goes, now what? And I go, now we'll just go home. And she goes, okay, which way? And I'm like, you don't know how to get home, you know, and you have straight A's and you know, but with my, with my son, who I have to get on him for, to do his
1: work, those type of things he's awesome at. He's Oh, see, know. I had the thing where Cooper looked at me and said, where am I going, yeah. literally in our neighborhood. And I realized, cause it's, he's never looked up from his phone when we're driving. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But what, but what I kind of did after my stepdaughter
0: with my boys who were younger, I started to say, we live in the San Fernando Valley. So I'd say, okay, now this is Ventura and these are the perpendicular streets. And this is, this is the 101 to the 405. And I'd make them start to like look around because they are so, you know, being chauffeured around on their phone and they a lot of them don't want to get their license because they're like, why? Why would I can just go do Uber? Why would I want this extra stress in my life when our generation, if you didn't get, I just remember, like, I went to the DMV and they didn't have June 14th. I couldn't go till June 16th, two days after my 16th birthday. And I was just like horrified because it was the only ticket to freedom. Now oh. these kids can be so social- um, even pre-pandemic, you know, they can be social on their video games, on their phones. And there isn't this like overwhelming desire to be like, oh my God, that if without a car, I can't see anybody. right You know, I need my own way of getting around.
4: Well, it's interesting because with Maya, I said, don't they have driver's ed? And she looked at me and she was like, what's driver's ed, mom? She was like, that's prehistoric.
1: <laughs> oh, and literally half of Cooper's friends still don't have a license nor want to get one which I find again, like Heather, like we were raised in LA. Yes. We could not wait to get our driver's license. Yes. What is with them wanting so little responsibility?
0: Well, that's why, I mean, with my, with my son, you know, with, we were like, no, you're going to drive and we utilize it. Like he is our designated driver. I don't pay for Uber. I'm like, no, you're picking us up. You're taking us around, you know, we're going to have a couple drinks. So, you know, those are the responsibilities. and. Sometimes even when I'm just like, yeah, like you take me to Costco and it's like, I just have this chauffeur and it's a way that I can spend time with him. But you know, everybody's, everybody has their own thing. And of course it's expensive to have a car and insurance. So like, I get it, but it is strange that people aren't pushing their kid to at least learn, even if you can't have their own personal car, just have that driver's license in case of like an emergency or
1: something. Your son doesn't bitch about having to drive you, Cooper, endlessly like, ugh, ugh. Why? And finally, I guess it was last year, I turned around and I said, do you know how many years I have driven you? Like, he goes, well, well, and I'm like, no, no, here's how much your car was. You owe me that much in rides. Yes, exactly. Good. Are we the only ones finding that our, our young adults and teens want to be less independent?
2: no it's a national trend so i'm sitting here listening to you thinking this is what we're seeing all over the country so one of the things we did early on was we started a facebook group because there's a lot of support for parents of little kids there's a lot of communities it's very easy to find other parents whose kids are in nursery school and talk about your parenting with them really hard when they're teenagers and i think we all need that just like the conversation we're having here we all need that when our kids are teenagers and one of the things that you find we have a um online Facebook group called Grown and Parents. And one of the things we find is parents are surprised by this very thing and the data bears it out. They are not pushing us away the way we pushed our parents away. They are not rebelling. It turns out they like us more than we liked our parents. Oh, I can argue about that. <laughs> they want to be with us. They want to spend more time with us. They want to communicate Again, with I, us more.
1: I, I have to tell you that is so not true in my house.
2: Well, On a national basis, it's true. (laughs) In any individual home, things can change. Um, But so it it bears out in the data about how much time they spend with, how many meals they have with us, how much they text us and call us. You know, we called our parents once a week. Um, They reminded us how expensive it was. Mary Dell's heard me say this. My parents used to remind me on the phone call how expensive it was. So we were spending the expensive time talking about how expensive it was. And yet, (laughs) our kids will call and text us endlessly. Um, and we would not have reached out to our parents in that way.
0: I think I think it's kind of interesting because with the quarantine, obviously um, my son's a junior and in high school. And, you know, it, when it started, it was gonna be this fun little two weeks waiting for the zombies to come. What's this gonna be like, you know? <laughs> and then you realize the whole semester's shot. Yeah. And I know everybody had different experience with the Zoom school. I felt like their education was extremely compromised, both the kids. And I kind of gave up too, and was like, "Screw it, who cares?" You know, and um, and then they say, "Okay, now it's just you know, at least for my son's public high school, it'll just be pass/fail." Which for my son, who tells me, "Mom, stop going above and beyond. That's your problem." Like he does the bare minimum, but he's bright. It was like a dream come true for him. But you know, now he's working today because he's got an F because he just blew off this one Zoom. Per class because he didn't like that person's face and he didn't want to look at that teacher's face anymore though <laughs> so he loved that class when he was in person but he goes, I just don't like that person's face. so I was like okay so and you know now we got some news in LA that definitely looks like schools will be opening in the fall thank god but the other day he goes you know what mom if it's zoom school in the fall I'm gonna take the GED because if I have to do online school I'd just rather do online college courses and I'll transfer like into and I I kind of was so defeated with what's happened because I feel like when we started, he had a lot of promise. And this, this, this Zoom school and pandemic really fucked over juniors. Everyone's talking about the seniors. I know you couldn't go to prom, but like by, by March, you knew if you were go- what school you were going to go to or if you were going to go to a JC or if you were going to go and just have a career. So for them, they got to blow off that time of year that everyone wants to blow off. Mm-hmm. So I'm like sick of hearing about Boohoo Seniors. Boohoo Juniors is, you know, this, he's, a, he's a golf star. So like this, seat, this spring semester would have been his time to shine. All that's gone. Now they say there's going to be no SAT or ACT, which is again where he would have shined because he's like naturally smart, but doesn't have great grades. So I'm kind of just like, fuck, I guess he'll just
3: be with me forever. It's been hard, really hard. I was going to say, you don't look happy about that. I'm not, because I, I do believe in, if if possible, I know everyone has
0: their own system, and definitely going the JC route is much different than when we went, where people kind of were snooty about it. Now it's a great route to go. Well, like um, the
1: Trojan Transfer, which people yes, yes, outside and, of LA, that's Santa, what, what- Santa that's,
0: Monica City to UCLA. USC. It's, it's yeah. great, but I do think for certain kids, they lose momentum. They might hang out with less savory people. I like the idea of going to do- at the dorm as a freshman and having that experience. It was really good for my daughter, so I really want that for this son. And now I'm kind of like, might not happen.
1: See, and I was in it. I my son, who's a freshman in college, mm-hmm. definitely he went from Dean's List first semester, yeah. which is you know unheard of as a freshman, especially a freshman athlete, right. to thank God they're doing Um, pass-fail. But again, he couldn't handle the lack of structure. And and a lot of, I mean, whether you're in high school or college, how do you
2: force them to... How do you keep them structured? Well, you you can't make them obviously because they're, they're, they're past the age where we can, we can make them do things. It's interesting you guys are mentioning this because one of the things that we see most often is that kids struggle in college not because they can't do the academics, but because they can't manage their time. Time management is something that is so rarely taught to teenagers and is literally the most essential thing to their success. Um, Colleges accept kids who they know can do the work. They've looked at your application. They know you can do the work, and yet kids stumble because of that. So there's a long list of things that we talk to parents about teaching their kids while they're still home, and they don't involve laundry or other things that our kids can learn on YouTube. They involve things like this, which show we need to show them how we manage time so that they learn how to manage their time.
1: What was fascinating with Cooper was um, first semester, again, being a college athlete, Every minute of his day was structured, Mm -hmm. including they had team breakfast and it just went from there. So, you know, and then I kept reminding him, you know, you might want to, you know, go in the other room and do your work. And it's interesting because it wasn't just Cooper. It was the majority of his friends, except for the two super brainy, motivated ones.
4: So Lisa and Marydell, how do we as parents control the urge to help our children or push them in the direction, especially when they're young adults and feeling like you can't tell me what to do. I'm not a baby anymore. You know, like with Cooper, he's like, I'm 19 mom. And Maya did the same thing with me all the way up. She's gonna be 23 now, but how do we resist that?
1: Well, I think what you're trying to say nicely is how do we explain to them that we actually do know more than them? (laughs) without them being going again, I mean, and I'll come back to this, but Sabrina and I had quite the conversation with Cooper moving out of school during the pandemic, because let's be honest, you know, his godmother and his mother didn't have a tremendous amount of faith. Well, no, I did. Melissa was like, we've got to get a moving
4: company. I'm like, liar, liar, pants on fire. You said to me, Wendy, Wendy, my witness I was like, Melissa, let that child get a box and put his shit in it. But no, what you said was,
1: if it doesn't get home, it doesn't get home. That's right. It's his responsibility. But then it would have become our problem.
4: No, 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 no. Like I told Cooper, I was like, you're responsible now. We gave him that opportunity and I am so
1: proud. He stepped up, Melissa. Yeah, see, his godmother knows more about him than I do because I'm like,
3: this is going to be a giant
1: fail and we're going to be the ones having to like fix it. And she's like, My aunt, if his stuff is, doesn't make it home, it doesn't make it home. It's his problem. That part. <laughs> so how do we stop the urge to help them?
3: It, it's very hard. You know, it is, this age is all about push-pull. How much do we push them? How much do we pull them? And actually, how much do we just put our hands up and say, it's yours? I think one thing that we can use as a little litmus test for ourselves is, am I doing something for my kid that I would do for my neighbor's kid? You know, How much is this emotionally charged conversation and this offer to help or back off Am I doing because it's my own kid? Like uh, if I had, an, we have a nephew who's living with us along with our two kids, he's 23. We're living this whole thing that Sabrina that you and Melissa are talking about. He was supposed to arrange for a packing company. We're, we're in coastal Georgia right now, uh, which is where we left. We left New York to come down here. His college is in out uh, suburbs of Boston. He was supposed to arrange with the moving company to come and get his things out because we can't drive up there and get them. And somehow it just sort of slipped through the cracks and we're dealing with the consequences. We're really kind of pushing him to deal with the consequences, but knowing that we're in the background. It's it's much easier for us to manage this with him than if it was our son or daughter, but we're helping him in a way where we're sort of pushing him along, but not trying to do it for him. And I think that's what we would do with our kids, but I'm not sure. When it's our kids, you want to more likely just jump in and help.
1: Well, it's not just about the jumping in and help. It's about making our lives easier.
3: Yeah, I know. Because it clearly would have been easier had I done something the first time I saw that email and was like, okay, I'll call the people. I will arrange it. I'll give them my credit card. We are done. But we're trying to use it as a learning opportunity. You know, where you, kids don't read their emails. Notoriously do not read emails. That's why you just sent everything over text. That this one came over an email and it just somehow didn't get dealt with. So remains to be seen.
4: I want a show of hands. How many of you ladies were helicopter parents? Honestly. I have been, Mm -hmm. I I admit it. I admit it. Melissa was a jet pretty much.
1: I was not. Yes you were, you still are. (laughs) She's so mean to me. I don't think I was a helicopter parent, but I definitely, I was more of like when Mm -hmm. the police are looking for someone that I, ha- I wasn't swooping in, but I was definitely had the light going, you know, to make yeah. sure <laughs> that I could see problems ahead and be like warning. But I, I mean, I do admit I had a very easy teenager, not so much now that he's still a teenager, but that he's come home. Um, it, it, which brings me to another question. And Heather, you know this from your stepdaughter, and it's a very different, just, I'm warning you now, it's a very different experience with boys um how how do we get them to not hate us (laughs) because all I know is my son the big transition was he was a freshman in college his first real taste of no rules and then he just came home during the pandemic and suddenly there's rules again that was not a smooth transition
2: So this is not real life. Nothing. You know that video about the uh, with the kid in the back seat who's been to the dentist saying is this real life? That's how I think many of us feel every single day. This is not real life. We're in our homes. Mary dell has got three 20 somethings in her house. I have four 20 somethings in my house. They don't normally live with me. This is not this is not normal. Um, And at some point we will all resume real life. But what you're talking about is a phenomenon that sometimes happens younger than your son. It happens the year before, which is called soiling the nest. Which oh, is, we went through that. Yeah, so that's where that's where often the feelings of do I dislike this person more than I could possibly imagine, disliking a person, um, and then it's just them pushing away because it's painful for them to leave. And most kids move on with that. Your son hasn't gotten a chance to move on from that because his. Transition got interrupted by the world, global experiences. But after we're through this period, he'll probably move on from it.
1: Well, I went through a horrible situation last summer where Cooper and I got into an argument about something very innocuous. And I am a single parent. And he said, basically said, you know, fuck you. I'm going to go live with my dad. And this is right before he left for college. And he would not speak to me for a month. Oh, and we eventually got into, we, you know, my therapist said the same thing. He and I were so close that for him to break away, it had to be so dramatic. And he then had to we, make
2: you the bad guy. Oh, he's, he, please. That's the only way he could leave you was to make you the bad guy.
1: And the joke is when, we finally, when I finally convinced him that we needed to go to therapy together to solve this, to be honest, his complaints were, like, I had to not laugh at what his complaints were. You're too critical. No shit, I'm a mother. You know what I mean? It was like but to him these things were very real. But it devastated me. And by the way, the first day he came home, he came into my room. I said this is, you know, I'm I'm so happy you're home, blah 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 blah. I had been out of town somewhere that we normally go together. And he came into my room and immediately started digging through my carry-on looking for something for him. And I'm like, do you really think I brought you a gift? And he found something in there that was not for him. It is something I had gotten myself. I think it was a new baseball hat. He snatched it. I thought you were it, say it was a vibrator. No, that was, no, I, I don't put that usually it in the carry-on. It was something I got for myself. Exactly. Yeah, e- exactly. And he snatched yeah. it and ran out of the room giggling. Like, I, Sabrina knows, I I couldn't get out of bed. I was so devastated. And here he comes in, like, whistling, like, what'd you bring me? But you know what? I'm, I'm sure, Heather, you can relate. I kept telling Melissa,
4: I'm like, only because I had gone through it with my daughter. It was a lot more, oh, it was crazy with my daughter. My husband had to step in very often. But they are really fighting for autonomy. they they don't want to feel like your small child and, you know, you're trying to speak knowledge and wisdom. They want no part of that. You are the enemy. They want no part of it. So I kept trying to console her and be the mediator with Cooper. And man, it was a hellish summer. Let me tell you.
1: <laughs> but it was exactly, it, it was what my therapist said is he's doing the soiling the nest. Mm-hmm. Heather, have I have your two younger ones started that yet, or do you think it's you're having a very different experience because of the pandemic?
0: Well, you know, I think I'm the opposite of a helicopter parent. I have, uh, you know, I kind of like was like you know when the kid wasn't good at soccer I was like this is embarrassing for me you don't want to do it we're out why do I have to get skin cancer sitting on the side watching this game I don't give a shit <laughs> you think you're going to be on a professional soccer team like I kind of just had a very relaxed attitude I have a, my family there's five of us and there I have some siblings that definitely tr- struggled with drugs and alcohol in life and so for me I felt like hey as long as in the end Like, I'm always, my attitude was always like, let's check back when the kids are 30, okay? I don't care what your kid's doing in second. Like, as long as my kid is, you know, not suicidal, not on drugs, and emotionally happy, I'm pretty, I feel like I've done my job, which is not a normal thing that you hear anymore. But that was kind of how I approached parenting. Now I feel like with my older son, I feel like maybe I wasn't on it enough, you know? Um, unfortunately, but still he's not vaping. He's not doing drugs. He's not, you know, so I'm kind of like, okay. So eventually, you know, I just want my kids to have a work ethic. I, I wasn't, I didn't have a, a level of like, it has to be USC where I went or anything. I'm like, you know, I, I'd like you to go to school with a dorm that we can afford. And I would like you to have that experience. But so that with my boys, um, we they were like I think every kid has a different stage where they're difficult so I'm pretty lucky right now that I sort of enjoy this stage like they're fun they're a part of the pandemic is I am their only friend like you know I'm like (laughs) I might be the last woman you see so you better be nice to me they're each other's friend so like we actually have had some fun during this time it's run its course we're ready to like you know hang out with other people but yeah I think um I just think it's interesting because I think everybody really kind of has a, a different um, experience, but I do think the soiling, the, the the nest thing I've never heard, and I find that kind of interesting where someone is like almost trying to push you away because they have anxiety, the child, about leaving. With my stepdaughter, um, when she was going to come back between freshman and sophomore year from Long Beach to LA to stay with us, I... There was always a lot of miscommunication problems between she and my husband and me. and So I wrote out this contract if she was going to come home. She had to be up at 9. She had a job or take a class. She had to text both my husband and I at the same time. And I sent it to her. And I go, what do you think of the contract? She goes, well, I didn't like it. I go, what part of the contract didn't you like? She goes, the contract. <laughs> so she, she got a job, and she stayed with friends, and she didn't come home for the summer. And I was like, good. I, because the other part is when they're home, you worry until they get home, that they're dead, that they got in a drunk driving accident, that that they're being raped. When they're in college, you still worry about them, but not the amount, because there's nothing you can do about it.
3: Yeah. It's very different worrying.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's kind of my story a little bit. I, I, it, you're very lucky, um, because I convinced, well, Okay. Maybe I'm the like... I did not take Cooper off my Life 360, even while he has been a freshman across the country. Because I need to know for my own edification that he, or at least his phone, is in his dorm at night. I don't patrol him, but I want to know that he makes it back inside. Now, granted, he could be just leaving his phone there and have a burner phone for all I know. I don't know. How do... Is it horrible what I'm doing or, I mean, he knows by the way, he knows it's not a secret. No, I love the location
0: on the phone. I you know we still have it on my daughter cause we pay for the phone and we tell her if she turns it off, she doesn't get a phone. I love it. I think it's a great safety thing. Our kids are away. They could be kidnapped, they could be hurt. I, I for me, no, I, I think that's one of the greatest inventions on earth is that we can locate
1: them via phone. But Lisa and Marydale, how do we explain to them that ex- we're not stalkers and that right. this kind of be- well, no, and that this kind of behavior from a girlfriend would be unacceptable. <laughs> right, exactly, because we we want them to feel
4: like we trust them, but we still are protective, you know, over them. So we can't help it. We want to know that they're safe, especially now. It's so crazy.
3: It's funny, we see that this is another big topic of conversation in our Facebook group. We have 160,000 members in the group, and we hope that that you guys all join it if you're not in it already. It is absolutely insane. People are in there talking 24-7. There are several hundred topics a day. And I think, do you use Live 360 or not, is one of our top 10 topics. Lisa and I don't start these conversations, the group does. And the group is really split between people who are like, I'm not stuck, I'm not. tracking my kids, they go to college, we're turning it off. And others who say, yes, I not only have it with my kids, I have it with my, with my older parents. And my kids worry about me if they don't see that I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's a way that you could explain to your children that it's just what we do as a loving family. We take care of ourselves, we're not stalking each other, but we know that we've got it there as a tool to use. The technology exists. So the tool is there for us to use in case of an emergency. I mean, who knows what flying is going to look like, right, in the, in right. the future. So, Melissa, when your son, if your son flies back to college, um, since he's so far away from California, you know, that, that tracking device is really going to be a lifeline for you and will help, help you know that he's home
1: safely. What I think is also really interesting, and I, I was talking to another friend of mine about this, why do we tolerate so much more shit from our kids than we do anyone else in our life? And I know, and I can speak, and by the way, and I go on the record again, I have, I have had a really easy go of it in the grand scheme of things. I have a great kid, but I will tell you, first of all, I feel like I'm living with Sibyl still. I, <laughs> you know, I used to say it was like, it's like invasion of the body snatchers. I never know. I mean, hour to hour walk, I can walk in his room for one minute and he'll, and even, you know, like his junior and senior year in high school. And it's like. Hi, lovey, lovey, lovey. I walk in 10 minutes later and it's like someone is hissing at me. So I, I, I don't ever know how to handle the Sybil stage other than I walk away now. But I tolerate so much shit from him and I'm not the only one. If I had friends who talked to me or had the attitude with me or the eye rolling with me or the mumbling under the breath with me, that he has, I would not be friends with them anymore. Why do we tolerate this shit? I think it's
2: because instinctively we understand that these are developmental stages. You don't actually have a lot of 17-year-old friends or 18-year-old friends. If you had friends that age, they might behave like that. But you, I'm going to guess, have grown-up friends um, who've gotten through this. Well,
1: they're physically grown up. I don't know (laughs) if some of them are emotionally grown up, but that's a different show.
2: So we're, we're tolerating things because it's instinctively we understand that they are not completely in control of their emotions They they almost as you say feel like they're possessed Now that we've got the tools to look at their brains and do scientific studies and why this happens We understand that their brains are not actually completely developed well into their 20s We used to think adolescence ended at 18. It's more like 28 than eighteen, um, We can see from MRI studies and various studies how that development continues. So what we're doing as parents is instinctively understanding that our kids almost aren't able to control themselves. The thing we were just talking about, the soiling the nest, they love us. They care about our opinions. We matter more to them than almost anyone on Earth, and yet they treat us that way, but they can't help themselves. No?
0: Heather, what were you saying? I was going to say, um, I just remember with my stepdaughter, You know it was interesting because she started living with us full-time when she was 11 and you know she's the only girl her mom is asian so she didn't look like us you know you know it was um and it was not a fun time now i cannot believe what a delight she is i would have never predicted how fun and great she is but towards the end of her senior year she always just it would literally like we'd pick her up from high school And she'd be laughing with her friends. And then she'd see us and then be like, and I'm like, I just saw you having a good time. Like you're putting so much effort to act like you're miserable. And so towards the end of senior year, I said, are we like ever going to see you again once you go to college? Like, I really didn't think we would. I really thought she'd just be like, goodbye. And then all of a sudden she switched. And then like maybe six months later, I go, you're so happy now. Like, why were you so? miserable when you lived with us during high school like what did we do you know what what happened and she goes it's when you said that that day she said i thought i don't want them to think i hate them and it was like a switch like she didn't really realize it and i also know in studying different things um because my son my younger son is going to start at the all boy um, high school because they really which one crespi
1: Oh, and I, they, I, can t- I got friends whose kids went to Crespi. Yeah,
0: they loved they, it. They really do. And they've done this for about the last 10, 12 years. They really follow this method of how boys learn differently. Also, the boy's brain is not developed till 30, while a girl is more like mid to late 20s. So, I mean, you're looking at this kid that's fully grown, that looks like a man that can help you, you know, carry shit. But they're really only half the, you know, the man they're supposed to be. So I think that's also part of, you know, your son not being able to emotionally, but I also had a parenting person tell me a long time ago when the kids were little, that kids behave badly with you because, versus a teacher or something because they are so comfortable with you because you are the softest spot in their life
1: because they know that you're not going to turn on them and stop being friends with them. Well, I, I do cool. know that someone once told me, and maybe you guys can tell me if this is accurate, that... Well, I used to say, because they would always say to me, oh, Cooper's so lovely, and he helps with the <laughs> dishes, and he's so polite, and his manners. And I'm like, can you send that child home? Because yeah. this is not the one I live with. <laughs> I, people always say you should take that as a compliment. Yes, I think so. Yeah, you know, I think mean, you love should. We love I mean, that about you, our kids. Wouldn't
0: you rather have him be a delight like everywhere else? Then what if it was a delight with you, and then horrible to everybody else? Well, no, I would, I, I would... take the other.
1: Um, I actually have some of my favorite headlines from "Grown and Flown" that I want to ask you guys about. <laughs> um, my teenager spends a lot of time in her room under normal circumstances. I keep knocking on her door. It's my job. Tell me a little bit about that one. That that is a relatively new piece that we just put up
3: that people have loved, and I think. Uh, It was it was really written by a mom who realizes that her teen needs to have their privacy The daughter needs to be in her room, but she wants to make sure There's not really something more than just typical teen behavior going on and she wrote it in the context of the pandemic But I think it's really a universal thing. I mean kids love nothing more than their privacy and they need that but we have to ask them, you know, in different ways, are you okay? Are you like really okay? We have to lure them out of the room into conversation with us. And that that's not really so easy to do. But this whole, we all envision what that looks like of knocking on our kid's door and how you want to be let in. You want to really let have them let you into their, what's really going on with them from an emotional and behavioral standpoint, not not just are they doing what they're supposed to do, but what, how are they really feeling? I wonder, if,
0: I wonder if starting the knocking is the mistake. Like, if your kid is not used to you ever knocking, would they say, hey, can you start knocking? Maybe they would. But I kind of never really did that, and I still don't. I still you check should. every time. Oh, you're on Zoom? Good. Oh, what are you doing? Stop playing oh, yeah, with that. I, 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 I do it all the time. And I, I just was like, I'll wait till they get weird on me. Well, I and
1: knock it, like, and open. Yeah. I do the knock, goop, and then open just because you don't want them like, you know, you don't want doing him building a private. bomb. You don't want your child yeah. building
4: a bomb in their room. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I yeah. think, yeah, I think it's like, I wonder, I, you know, I always, one of the things like there, again, I, this little parenting class I took when I was, when the kids were really little, I just remember this woman saying, you know, when you're at Target or something with your kid and they see a toy that they want, just say, Maybe for your
1: birthday or Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever. Which, by the way, was a great strategy, unless you had my mother as your grandmother, (laughs) whose life, whose whose sole purpose in the second half of her life was to undermine me. Um, Which, which this is one that I did. But I'm just
0: saying that type of thing does it does work. Like sometimes when you start something early enough, they would just go maybe for my birthday, and people would be shocked by that. But I did not have Joan Rivers buying everybody. Yeah. Your
1: so <laughs> what is, another headline that I loved, what is the difference between nagging
2: and reminding? Yeah, this is one that we all struggle with. And um, it was a really, really interesting piece where, you know, it's our job sometimes to help them stay on track. It's been a big challenge. This online learning, as you guys have mentioned, has been a huge um, challenge. So if you keep asking them, it's nagging. But if you help them set up some structures that put milestones in places and show them how you manage your time, this is going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, then that's reminding. So um, nagging drives them insane and doesn't accomplish anything we want. Reminding helps them develop their own systems and helps you develop systems with them on how they're going to manage their time.
1: But what happens when you remind and things still don't get done. How soon? I mean, I always have a thing where, and I learned this from my therapist, is I, and I, I used to have to do it with my ex-husband. That's where I learned this, is I get to ask and then I can't like ask again for like, I'm like, where it would be like, okay, you needed to get this done within the week. I couldn't ask again during that week.
2: So reminding is setting up some check-ins. It's saying, um, I know you have a big project, so two days before the project's due, let's have a check-in where you tell me where you are and how far it's gone, and you know, with not where well, there's a little bit of time left to pull it out if it hasn't happened yet, um, rather than as you said, asking over and over again. So you set it up by mutual agreement. Um, that way, the teenager has bought into it and said, "Okay, you can ask me two days before, and then you can ask me again, you know, the day of, and we, we'll set this up and we'll both agree to it in advance." Um, nagging is what I did—ask kids continuously until they turn on you with venomous look and um, scowl. Oh, you mean
1: the the death glare? <laughs> yes, that one. We all know that. And
0: I think I love it when I when I do what you're saying, and then I'm accused of bullying them.
1: Ooh. You're peer pressuring them. Like, what are you talking about? i say, first of all, you're not my peer. You're not the peer. You're not my peer. <laughs> I know, that's what I think is
0: so funny because it's such the trigger word. Like the minute you throw that out, obviously, like they just know that like that's the worst thing you can call someone as a bully. So they'll be like, stop
4: bullying me. Cause I'll be like, you stink, take a shower. Stop bullying me. <laughs> I'm like, oh uh, no. You guys are so nice. You you know when they say, you're gonna have a time out, Johnny. Yeah. Not in my house, time <laughs> up. I told you to do da 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 da. Yeah. Because it's, I feel like you also have to create boundaries. I think that's really important for them to understand. Um, in relationships, no one's gonna put up with their crap like you do.
1: No. Yeah. I, okay, I think the most important, headline and i kind of want to start to wrap up on this one is there is an article posted what do you do when your teen doesn't take social distancing seriously and i think it's something all of us can relate to because our kids are very antsy how do we you know i've let cooper have a specific friends they're allowed in our backyard they're not allowed in the house and when they have gone out to walk around, I have been in, you know, I make him wear his mask. He claims he is. Again, I can't control him when I'm out, but it's getting harder and harder. What do you do to make them understand social distancing and the importance of it, even though to them it seems ridiculous?
2: This is one of the most challenging parenting moments any of us have ever faced, but it's also perhaps a chance to do some of our best parenting. You know, we talk a lot about our kids being global citizens. We talk a lot about our kids doing things for other people. This is time for them to us to walk the walk and them to walk the walk. So, it doesn't. It isn't very effective to just say no, and it isn't very effective to remind them over and over again, or to scare them about their own health because they have very little fear around their own health. Um, but it is a chance to talk to them about bigger goals about the elderly in our community, the elderly in our families, why we do things for other people and why we do things for our community because, and how we're part of that larger community. We've always talked about those things and we perhaps, you know, have done community service work or were involved in our religious organizations, but this is a chance to appeal to their better selves and their higher selves. And one of the things therapists tells us is kids will rise to the level that you set for them. So if you take talking to your 20-year-old like a 15-year-old, they will act like a 15-year-old. If you talk to your 20-year-old like a 25-year-old, they will begin to act that way. So I think this is a chance to appeal to their better selves, their higher selves, about why this is something important for all of us. Um, And you know, we can use the examples of older people in our community. Us, dangerous for us, as we know, as the older you get than it is for our kids maybe not critically like it is for a, for a person in their 80s, but he doesn't want anything happening to you. He cares about you and loves you and needs you to be here in a profound way. So I think we can talk about some of those things with them, that they're not doing it for them, that this isn't about them at all. It's about something higher than that.
3: I think we also need to know that for kids, for adolescents, their friends are massive to them. It's like the air they breathe and the food they eat less so as you get older but it's just part of being an adolescent and I think parents have to remember that it's we may be okay understanding this all the things that Lisa was talking about and the the benefits but for them emotionally it is excruciating and um, I think it just helps remind ourselves how important friendships are to these kids developmentally they can't help it it's just where they are in life I
0: think one of the benefits of it is I felt like we were heading pre-pandemic to a place where these kids were not as social as they should be and were getting very comfortable staying home on a Friday night or you know I would talk to people about this I'd be like anybody else raising a nerd that never leaves and everyone would like cheer and and now they I think will have a greater appreciation for just like we do as an adult like you know what I am going to go to that party or you look back like what you did in February. And you're like, I'm so glad I went to that thing. I'm so glad I did that show. Who knows when I'll ever get to do it again. Right. So I think they'll be, they'll have a greater appreciation for actually doing things and being social. And just like when, you know, people thought we would never be able to um, learn to separate our trash and recycle, you know, when that started, they said, like, oh, America's not going to do that. And we did it. So like, I do think we're going to as a nation, but also our kids, are we're gonna raise a generation that is more conscious about washing hands, spreading germs, you know, getting too close to someone, staying home when they're sick. Employers will well, be- in
1: general, staying home when they're sick is not so difficult, especially if there's a test or a paper due. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let, let's call it as we see it. I thank everyone so much for being here today. This has been fantastic. Everyone stay tuned. Come back for another episode of Group Text.